0: Hello, this is Todd from Liberty Lake, Washington, and I would never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore podcast. There's a complete lack of discussion, the hosts are closed-minded, and the nonsensical commentary mixed with the stupid ideas are enough to drag any conversation backward. Please do not listen to this podcast.
1: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dallamore. Welcome one and all. Episode 155 of I Doubt It with Dallamore. I am your host for this, and up to this point, every episode, Jesse Dollimore sitting across from me, yawning hugely as I kill time before I actually introduce her, Brittany Page.
2: That was a good one.
1: (laughs) The the yawn was a good one, or Mm -hmm. my stalling while you yawned.
2: Uh, my yawn,
1: because it was a a productive yawn. Let's say that
2: I'm a pretty tired lady.
1: You are. You're. Uh. You're getting it done lately, huh? Uh,
2: I have a lot to do. A
1: lot of grad school. A lot of uh, other extracurricular school-related activities.
2: Yep. Internship. I yeah. have. A, I have a real job as well. Yeah. In addition to this real job, <laughs> so I kind of have two jobs and an internship in grad school. Anyway. You're busy. Yeah. Which
1: elicits yawning. <laughs> uh, unpredictable. Yawning. Yeah. Maybe it's time for another trip, huh? Uh,
2: yes, or a nap.
1: Oh, I was, but... thinking, I was thinking trip because I dream of when we take trips. Maybe this is I should preface anything we say going forward by when we take trips, we don't think about oh we could be lazy and lay by the beach or we could we could uh, do some oh let's go gamble in Vegas. We think about where we could go to eat.
2: Yes. And that is definitely a huge part of it. When we were in New York, we we hustled.
1: Oh yeah, we were walking our asses off
2: all around the city, going from place to place eating several times a day. And we did the same thing in DC.
1: Yeah. Well, with, with New York, we hit up, you know, the the usual spots. Katz's Deli. Uh, we hit up a, a place called Manetta Tavern in Greenwich Village which is awesome. They have the Blue Blue Label Burger?
2: The Black Label the Burger. The Black Label
1: Burger. Act like I I was there. And it is an, a fucking amazing, amazing yeah. hamburger. It possibly is the best meal I've ever had. But it's certainly the best hamburger that I've ever had. So we really like to, to do up the food. And you, like you said, we did the same thing in D.C.
2: Yeah, I think it's an odd thing that we plan our trips around food because... I was talking to someone who they were, like, reminiscing about a trip they had in D.C., and... <laughs> Let me
1: guess. You went straight for the food.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, did you go to Ben's Chili Bowl? And Because that's a huge, famous place yeah, yeah. in D.C. It's, it's the
1: place that uh, Bill Cosby... Yeah. No, no, we don't answer that. I don't have it loaded. Uh, Bill Cosby eats for free. And so does President Obama. Those and, are the only two people.
2: And there's murals painted of both their faces on yeah. the side of the restaurant, yeah. which, that's bad. Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> Cosby's is still up. We'll see how long that lasts.
2: Yeah. It'll um, be like Joe
1: Paterno when they tore down his statues at Penn State.
2: Yeah, kind of unfortunate to have that on your restaurant. So you,
1: Sorry, I'm derailing you here. So you asked her, hey, did you go to Ben's Chili Bowl?
2: Right. And she said that, you know she was talking to her aunt or something, and, and her aunt said that every time she goes there, the food kind of makes her sick, and so she doesn't think it's that great of a restaurant. And I said, well,
1: makes her sick. You mean a tum time.
2: Yeah, I said, it's just that's chili. <laughs> like that's what chili does.
1: So if that's not necessarily an attribute of Ben's chili bowl, it's just an attribute of chili.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not that they're preparing the food in a way that's not sanitary and, you know, making her sick. It's it's chili. Yeah, it's, it's chili. It's what it
1: does. So actually, it's getting the job done.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe you you
1: ladies have a more sensitive gastrointestinal setup because I don't shit every time I have chili. I mean, eventually I do because that's the biological process. But chili's not one of those foods that really, you know, drives it home, if you know what I mean.
2: All right. Well, maybe my theory's wrong, Um, but I just assumed that everyone kind of felt that way about chili, um, and beans in general. Um, Uh,
1: It's all coming, it's all coming out. No liquidy foods. Oh, oh! I thought you were talking about the poops. No. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess we should awkwardly move on to the show.
2: (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't. It's just chilly. It kind of...
1: It went downhill quick. It Um, devolved very quickly.
2: Well, you know what else we can comment on really quick is how effing hot it is we don't have
1: to talk about how hot it is all the time yes we do
2: it's like a hundred degrees here right now yeah
1: it's no good
2: and i walked out i walked out of my my class today out of the building and it looked like the apocalypse the the wind was going crazy (laughs) the
1: apocalypse yeah
2: it was hot (laughs) it was hot ass wind that was blowing
1: is that what the apocalypse looks like
2: there was stuff blowing in my eyes, and I couldn't see. It was it was terrible. What,
1: what, did you see a rider upon a pale horse?
2: Yeah, it was like Mad one Max. wielding
1: one wielding pestilence. It was like and Mad another Max. wielding war. Is it time for heavy metal or Bible again? <laughs> I guess
2: so. We're talking <laughs> about dragons.
1: All right. Well, listen. Before we get started here, six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. That is our voicemail line. If you would like to sound off about any of these topics prior to this episode or within, we encourage you to sound off. If you're voicemail averse, you can also email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We haven't talked about this in a while, but I would like to encourage you, if you have not... Um, go and rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. iTunes is preferred because that's where the, the, the compendium of most of our reviews are on iTunes. Um, go and rate and review us. It does help us a lot relative to our position within iTunes. And that, I guess, also... Because it's a mystery. Nobody really knows exactly what Apple and iTunes are doing. But it also helps to get us in front of new listeners... ...who may not have found our show otherwise. So, you know, you're, you're, you're doing us a solid.
2: And a service to the public. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs> so go do that. And listen, if you've got a wife who hasn't uh, reviewed the show... ...or you have a husband or a boyfriend or someone... ...who you know uses iTunes and has not reviewed us yet... Oh, you ...there is an opportunity there to do some wonderful things... ...for your humble host me All right. Let's get on with the show. We have talked about the infamous Jared Fogel, former Subway restaurant spokesman, spokes monster, and it was only a matter of time and I think some stuff like this is going to be coming out very very soon. It's just going to be trickling in as the research gets done, but this is Kind of funny in a very dark, sick kind of way. Someone found a clip. There used to be a show on, I think, VH1 or one of those terrible networks that... uh,
2: I Love the New Millennium.
1: Is that what it's called? Yeah. I thought it was like Best Week Ever or something. No. um, It's one of those kind of shows. Yeah, this
2: clip is from I Love the New Millennium.
1: And they're talking about the show on Dateline with... Chris, Chris Hansen with Chris Hansen, ah, Chris Hansen. I can't,
2: I can't do it, or I, w- I would join in. <laughs> I can do it about other things.
1: So, uh, it's a show uh, about a guy named Chris Hansen who sets up child molesters, pedophiles, in a sting with the cops. I think they explain the premise in the clip. Anyway, Jared Fogle is featured in this, in- making fun of child molesters who get caught
2: in two thousand eight.
3: NBC Dateline came out with this segment that was hosted by Chris Hansen and it was called To Catch a Predator. And it blew up. To Catch a Predator or Punked the Pedophile Edition. Chris Hansen works with this group of people and they go on internet chat lines and they convince guys to come over to a house. Get your freak out. Get your freak
4: See, the guy thinks he's there to, to meet up with an underage kid. They show up bringing wine coolers or something that kids might like to get drunk on. It's like the most depressing thing to watch because you always feel bad for the pervs right up to the point where you
5: remember, oh, they found all children.
6: Oh, <laughs> no, never mind.
5: The best part is when Chris Hansen comes out for the reveal, and the guys are sitting there like, I knew it. Hey, how are you? Uh, do me a favor and you have a seat right over there in that stool? Hansen busts the guy, and, and then the guy's embarrassed to saw the, the cameras come out at the end. I'm Chris Hanson, you're on Dateline. This is the part where I say, I'm Chris Hansen.
0: Almost all of the guys that get caught
1: have seen the show. You ever watch Dateline NBC? Yeah, I've seen this on TV. You've seen this
7: on
8: TV before?
0: And it's almost like they think that they're now going to be famous, and they don't care. They're like, wait a minute is this to catch a predator you're chris where's the camera this is this never happens to me mom most of the predators
3: sit down and start talking to him well you know i was just coming over here to tell her not to me i'm not
5: looking for i mean to like
0: the funniest line that i think he always says to me is at the end where he goes well i mean you're free to go
1: you're free to leave coming up free to have your condom back and then they walk out
0: and like the police like with their taser guns are like get on the ground get
7: down
3: these guys continue to fall for it every single time there must be like 100 million episodes of the show and these guys still come
1: out
0: i mean look that was him bringing a bad time
1: that was him yeah that there must be a hundred million episodes, he says, and they're still getting caught every single time.
2: Yeah, it's really, it's disturbing to uh The gleeful look on
1: his face, too, if you watch the video.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's something very sickening about someone commenting on the show To Catch a Predator.
1: Who when is. when
2: they themselves have child pornography, are working with someone who is producing child pornography, and, who and are... then who's also having sex yeah. with with children. <laughs> so
1: I thought you should have led with that. That's why I thought you were going to forget that one, <laughs> the most important one.
2: Well, there were, there's a lot to get to, and there's a lot of crimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah terrible, terrible, and disturbing to watch this piece of garbage sitting there gleefully. Just ruminating and marinating in the in the misfortune of these other fellow monsters.
2: Well, you have to wonder if he is kind of sitting there and in his head, he's like, yeah, you know, they have no idea that, you know, these are my brethren. And yeah, he, I mean, what is what's in his head? What's he thinking? I would uh, love to know what's going on in his head in that moment.
1: I don't know. Well, speaking of wanting to know what's going on inside of someone's head. That was perfect, by the way. Kim Davis. We talked about her last time when Ryan Bell was on the show, and we announced that she was in jail. Well, well, she's no longer in jail. She has been released, and, uh, ugh, what a mess. Anyway, we didn't get to this last time. I wanted to play the clips of the interview. It was kind of a QA and a on the courthouse steps with her husband, the overall-wearing Joe Davis... And this music couldn't be more fitting when you see the pictures of him and listen to him talk about why his family is so strong and why they've, they've stayed together so just triumphantly in the face of this turmoil.
9: How are you guys so strong as
5: a family? Love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my mother-in-law's. I love my son-in-law. Love is what makes you strong.
0: It's the same argument the other side has in wanting to get married.
5: Yep, though, it's it's against the law, though, for him to be married. It's not against the law for me to be married.
0: Have you talked to Kim at all?
5: I spoke to her, and she's doing well. What about Nathan? How, how is he doing? He's doing well.
0: What, will Kim give up this fight? How oh, long you oh no, no,
5: she won't give up. There's no uh, give up in her. So, Are there going to be any hard feelings with the five deputy clerks that you fly? Oh, no no, 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 no. I, I took them out to eat the even after we got out. No, called. there will be no hard feelings towards them. And I told them that. I said, I love each and every one of you. I said, uh, I don't blame y'all. Y'all got bullied. And I said, that's just it in a nutshell. You got bullied. I said, he scared you all. Because they stood up there and they of you all in there. Uh, said that uh, it was against their uh, beliefs and their conscience, but because, because you're going to make me go to jail, or either I sell them, I'll sell them instead of going to jail.
0: Would they have otherwise denied as well? Do they feel the same way as your wife?
5: That's a question you have to ask them.
1: Unbelievable. And also, just listen, I know I make jokes and I play the banjo music and it all is kind of intimating that he's unintelligent and he's a hillbilly and he lacks a fundamental understanding of what is happening but just his own words really they're an indictment of all of that in and of themselves all jokes aside all playful um, sound effects aside he doesn't understand what's happening when he says they say yeah well you know the argument for the other side is the same thing about love he goes, yeah, but it's against the law for them to be married. It's not against the law for me to be married, which clearly is not the case. The Supreme Court ruled on June 26th, 2015, that marriage equality is now the law of the land. That you cannot, because of several statutes, equal protection being one of them, you cannot offer this right to one group and not another. Based solely on how they were born. Anyway, the, the the questioning continued, and the cavalcade of good times did as well.
5: We didn't want no attention or nothing like that, but it happened. We've had uh, Donald Trump has made comments. We've had uh, a pres uh, one that's running for president called my wife personally and said he backs her hundred percent. Who was that? Uh, I think it was Huckabee. Called her on her cell phone. And told her that he was behind her. As a matter of fact, if you all look, it's on the internet. He's coming to Kentucky to support her. He's going to start a petition to get her out of jail. So, if, if all these other people can understand the law and see the law, why can't Bunny?
1: Why can't Bunning, who's the judge who sentenced her or put her in jail based on her contempt charge? Well, there's one last, there's one last very short clip here, and they talk to him about. Um, his willingness to go to jail for what they believe. Oh, yeah, I am.
5: They give it to me. It don't, I don't care about being in jail. They give me 30 years and I don't care. They can't bully me. If they can, bu- if, if our government can bully you, then they're going to make everybody bow down to what they want to do. do appreciate- if we don't take our country back, we're the one that puts them in there. They work for us. And if we don't take our country back, we're going to be in worse shape than this. So
1: he's willing to go to prison for 30 years in order to continue the oppression of gays and lesbians and not allow them to marry. The disallowance of, of them to marry is so important to him and obviously to her that they're willing to go to prison for this. It it makes zero, zero sense. Well, the 30 year pledge, notwithstanding, Kim Davis is now out of prison, out of the county jail, because of an agreement that was struck that they've changed the forms and her name is no longer on them relative to the gay marriage thing. So she does, is not, it's not an uh, implicit approval of gay marriage, like it fucking matters. And um, a throng. Of hillbillies and Kim Davis supporters were there to greet her with Mike Huckabee on stage as well as her husband in front of the courthouse when she was released from jail. Her sobbing, uncontrollably crying. <laughs> Mike Huckabee trying to get her to get her composure.
0: the glory. His people have rallied and you are a strong people. We serve a living God who knows exactly where each and every one of us is at. Just keep on pressing. Don't let down because he is here.
3: he's He's worthy.
0: I love you guys. Thank you so much.
1: Huckabee can't go without a little uh, attention, too.
8: And let's hear it for her husband, Joe, who has been a faithful, strong supporter at her side.
1: And we've already heard from the lovely and talented Joe Davis, so we're not going to go there.
2: Well, so Mike Huckabee was at her side the entire time. He walked out with her. That's right. And he remained at her side while she you know, held her hands up and they played survivor. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> but people have been saying, you know, Mike Huckabee kind of stole her 15 minutes of fame. Oh, because, he was horning
1: his way in there for sure. Yeah.
2: I mean, he is shoulder to shoulder with her in every shot you see of that day.
1: Right. He's also proclaiming that he's willing to go to jail instead of her.
2: Yeah, like after she's out of jail. Well, Also,
1: that's not even an option. That's not how it works. Like, Hey, listen, i I'm not doing anything this month. I'll go to jail and serve your sentence. That's not how it works.
2: <laughs> right. Well, he's also saying that when she's released, she was in jail for six days, by the way. Right, and right. he immediately came out and was in support of her. So why wasn't he immediately saying, hey, I'm demanding right. you put me in jail in her right, place right. Go from pu- day one. Go
1: punch a cop or something. <laughs>
2: yeah. Get it done. <laughs> it's it's just...
1: It also... Listen, I, I'm... I I. I have to default to making jokes because otherwise I get very, very angry when I watch the video of this and she's got her hands raised praising her God with tears, just she's crying uncontrollably. And they're treating her like she's some type of martyr, like she's some type of hero. When the the heroic thing, quote unquote, that she's done, is just not offer the same... is just to violate gays and lesbians' rights in her county. People who likely voted for her because she's the Democrat on the ticket. It's it's very, very disturbing.
2: Well, and, uh, you know, Survivor is the band that...
1: Oh, yeah, the Eye of the Tiger.
2: Right, and the co-founder, Frankie Sullivan is very unhappy about the unauthorized use of Eye of the Tiger during that rally. Yeah. Very angry about it. Although there's articles going around that are saying that he's suing Kim Davis and Mike Huckabee. That is that is fake. That's not true. Right, right. At least not right now. Um, But, he, but he's very unhappy. And additionally, while we're on the topic of bands that are unhappy about music being used, REM...
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. I heard about this.
2: Very unhappy with donald trump and ted cruz now since this is a quote
1: oh yeah britney's oh she's warning so that means she's going to curse
2: yeah since this is a quote i will be you know not edited is this
1: from michael stipe head front man of uh, rem
2: yes so this is to donald trump and ted cruz from rem go fuck yourselves <laughs> The lot of you, you sad, attention-grabbing, power-hungry little men, do not use our music or my voice for your moronic charade of a campaign.
1: That is awesome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm surprised that you didn't pronounce it charade with Michael Stipe. He seems like the type.
2: Well, I almost did. So
1: the, the Kim Davis thing continued. Every presidential candidate's trying to get their... They're their 15 minutes along with Mike Huckabee. And Ben Carson is no different.
3: You know, when the Supreme Court made its decision, anyone should have known that this kind of thing was going to occur. And it's going to continue to escalate. And Congress now has a responsibility to step up to the plate and enact legislation that will protect the First Amendment rights of all Americans. That's the reason that we have divided government. Uh, when, when one branch does something that uh, tilts the balance, the other branches need to pitch in and correct the situation. This is a serious problem.
0: The detractors say that that's a slippery slope because now, next thing you're going to have Catholics who refuse to issue a marriage license to people who have been divorced or Muslims who refuse to issue a marriage license to people who wanna, Muslims who want to marry Christians and so on. Where does it end?
3: But, but this is a very basic right. You know, uh, this is a Judeo-Christian nation in the sense that a lot of our values and principles are based on our Judeo-Christian faith. And when, when there are substantial numbers of people who actually believe in the traditional definition of marriage, uh, I'm one of them doesn't mean that i don't think other people can do whatever they want to do but i don't actually believe that they have the right to force their way of life upon everybody else nor would i try to force my way of life upon everybody else and this is where some intellect has to come into place and you know our legislators need to sit down and ask themselves you know we'll just stop it there what is he talking about
1: that he would not want to force his way of life on someone else that is precisely what he is doing that is exactly what his ilk are doing
2: yeah it's also it's the same it's the same talking points oh this is a christian nation oh this you know we care about traditional marriage okay you can be a Christian. You can care about your definition of traditional marriage. That's right. Not everyone agrees with you. Not everyone should be forced to agree with you or follow your definition or your religion. That's it. it.
1: It's the same pushback against the court and progress that we've seen time and time again.
2: And Ben Carson's number two in the polls, by the way. He's, yeah. he's getting up there with Donald Trump. He's you know, the main one that is kind of catching up to Donald Trump right now. And he's saying things like this.
1: Well, he's like, I was saying it's him, Kim Davis, all of these, Mike Huckabee, they're saying the same things against the court. They're saying the same things against progress that we've heard before. If you, some of you might be old enough to remember George Wallace, the governor of Alabama in the 1960s stood in defiance against the ruling of the Supreme Court to integrate schools. And, well, he had this to say about the Supreme Court in 1967.
4: Well, why can't you criticize courts? Are they divine? Are those that serve on the courts of divine origin? Are the institutions themselves divine? Are they institutions created by men?
1: He's, uh, it sounds a lot like the same arguments that are being made right now just with a different a different topic at hand he's very he's infamous for having said this
7: in the name of the greatest people
4: that have ever trod this earth i draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny and i say segregation now segregation tomorrow and segregation forever (laughs)
1: Sounds familiar to what we're hearing now, the same arguments we're hearing now. Now listen to this next clip of George Wallace, famed states' rights guy who wanted to oppress a minority population. This is when he was standing in front of the doors of the University of Alabama, not allowing court sanctioned, court-ordered desegregation to take place.
8: I wish to make it clear to you that this is an awfully simple thing. We are asking today, is a routine thing, it is simply the enforcement of a court order of which you are aware. And I've come here to ask you now for an unequivocal assurance that you will permit these students, who after all merely want an education at the great university. Well, now you make your statement, but we don't need you to make a speech. You make your statement. I will make my statement, Governor. I was in the process of making my statement. And I'm asking from you an unequivocal assurance that you will not bar entry to these students, to Vivian Malone and to James Hood, and that you will step aside peacefully and do your constitutional duty as Governor.
4: As Governor and Chief Magistrate of the State of Alabama, it is a right of every citizen, however humble he may be, through his chosen officials of, representatives gover- of representative government to stand courageously against whatever he believes to be the exercise of power beyond the constitutional rights conferred upon our federal government. It is this right which I assert for the people of Alabama by my presence here today. Now, therefore, I, George C. Wallace, as governor of the state of Alabama, do hereby denounce and forbid this illegal and unwarranted action by the central government.
8: Governor Wallace, I take it from that uh, statement that uh, you are going to stand in that door, and that you are not going to carry out the orders of uh, this court, and that you are going to resist us from doing so. Is that correct?
4: I stand upon
8: the statement. Stand upon that statement. Governor, I'm not interested in a show. I don't know what the purpose of the show is. I ask you once more. The choice is yours. There is no choice that the United States government has in this but to see that the lawful orders of its court are enforced. Very well.
1: What is different? What is different right now with the Supreme Court order, the Supreme Court ruling, whether it be 5-4 or or 8-1, what's the difference between that that happening on, on June 6th, on June 26th, and what happened in the 60s? The segregation. Nothing. There's nothing that's different whatsoever. It is two groups who are standing not only for state's rights, but also for the oppression and the not full citizenship ultimately of a whole entire group of people. It's the same exact thing. Kim Davis is no different than than George Wallace, so I guess you know take that as it will take take that as you will and and do with with whatever you will with it, um, it, you know history is repeating itself and no one seems to be noticing or or no no one who matters on the national stage happens to be saying it no one's noticing it it's it, it's bothersome.
2: I read something today that said that. The Christian majority in in the 60s was against desegregation, the desegregation movement. Right, right. And then they shifted their focus on um, abortion in the late 20th century. Sure. And now it's in opposition to gay rights. Yeah. So they've consistently been in favor of oppressing people.
1: And consistently been on the wrong side of history.
2: Right, right. In favor of doing the wrong things that are kind of what you were saying—that in, in siding with the um, oppressing of people. Because when they were making that, um, when I saw that meme making the comparison of the sanctuary city and Kim Davis. Right, right. And you said that this whole Kim Davis situation is different because it's airing on taking the wi- taking the rights away from people. Right rather than actually providing for people. Right,
1: right or wrong, that's correct, yeah. So, as always, our favorite guy over at Fox News actually had some wise things to say relative to this entire Kim Davis fiasco. Shepard Smith.
4: understood and was able to experience the grace of Jesus Christ, who loved her, Amen. gave himself for her, and freely forgives her of all of her sins and throws them into the bottom of the ocean and casts them as far as the east is from the west. And when she went to church that Sunday night at the dying wish of her mother-in-law for her just to try church one time, she gave herself to the Lord Jesus she was a broken law.
6: Well, they've set this up as a religious play again. This is the same crowd that says, we don't want Sharia law. Don't let them come in here and start telling us what to do. Keep their religion out of our lives and out of our government. Well, here we go again. When this started, this lawyer said he needed an accommodation for a woman who wanted one. She said she didn't want her name on a license for gay people. They couldn't come up with an accommodation. Now they've come up with one. They've let her out of jail, said, all right, you don't have to have your name on there. We we'll just put the name of the county on there. All this is done. But it's not what they want. You're hearing now what they want. This is what they want. And this is what they're going to get. They're going to get a stirred up argument and a couple of a news cycle. And they're going to be able to make these claims. And, and the truth is, when you get right down to the fundamentals of this, the Supreme Court of the United States says that you can't have things being okay for one group of people and not okay for another group of people. This is not unprecedented. They did it when they said that black and white people couldn't marry. And they said, oh, wait, I guess you can. And now they've said straight people and gay people can also all get married. You want to get married? Go, go, go right at it. The government's not going to get in the way of you anymore than they did in the way of straight people back in the day. But their haters are going to hate. And, you know, you, well, we, we thought that what this woman wanted was an accommodation, which they've now granted her something that worked for everybody. But it's not what they want. This is what they want. So when Mike Huckabee comes up there, we'll hear his side of all of this, which will be similar to this side, right after a quick commercial break.
0: So. The dying wish.
2: So Shepard Smith on Fox News. Awesome. This is what he does. He gives, just tosses the reason all over your faces, right? Well,
1: listen. Wow, that was mildly, there was a little innuendo there. Sorry.
2: (laughs) Sorry about that.
1: (laughs) Here's the deal. Don't toss the baby out with the bathwater. I don't even know if that's a good analogy here. But Fox News, while terrible, is not all bad. There are a handful, and when I say handful, I mean like maybe five, maybe seven characters over at Fox News that are worth their weight in fucking gold. Shep Smith leading the pack amongst them. And this is one example of why he is awesome and very much needed over at Fox News because he provides this rational, logical correct viewpoint for their millions and millions of viewers.
2: Right. He said, this is not unprecedented. They did this when they said black and white people couldn't marry. Exactly
1: tied in with what I was saying with George Wallace and his ilk.
2: Right. So (laughs) Shepard Smith is helping you out and trying to get that (laughs) message out to the masses, but it is important. And I think people are just afraid to face that fact and say, wow, you know, my tribe, this is what they they did in the past. Right. And this is what they're doing now. It and scares
1: it, me to do something different.
2: Right. And and it's just kind of, it's scary to admit that, that your tribe was a part of that in the past. And it's hard to really face that this is a similar situation, but it is. Yeah. And people need to face that.
1: It's the same. It's exactly the same with a different issue. Anyway, um, it is, it is difficult for me to not be absolutely furious. But, uh, hey, man, I'm doing my best. All right, let's uh, move on to other things.
3: Support for I Doubt It with Dollimore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com/slash I doubt it with
1: And if you would like to do what the lovely British lady just said and take advantage of this next debate, which is one week, which is six days away from the time that you're listening to this, because I know you're listening as soon as it was released, uh, you're going to need to be a Patreon supporter. You're going to want to partner with us in our efforts here to move the conversation forward. And because this next debate, and well, all of the debate um, analysis going forward is going to be solely for Patreon supporters. So we would love to have you on board, like I said, partnering with us to help us move the conversation forward. And you can do so, like she said, patreon.com slash more. And we appreciate every single one of you very much. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. I thought this segment would never <laughs> would never get here. All of that was follow up. Who knew that it would take over 40 minutes to get to to get to to Well,
2: you know, Kim Davis is a big topic.
1: She's a big something. Um I don't mean weight wise. I meant bitch is what I meant, but is that better? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah.
1: She's a big hateful person. How about that?
2: You know, you're, you go with whatever you <laughs> feel you need to do, sir.
1: All right. Well, moving on to another big asshole is Donald Trump. We didn't get to this last time with Ryan Bell, but I wanted to, I wanted to still talk about it because it didn't get much traction in the news.
2: It didn't, which is weird. It
1: bothered me that it didn't. Donald Trump was on a, a conservative radio show with a guy named Hugh Hewitt. And he was asked about uh, a, a, a guy named General Soleimani, who was the head of the Kurds, which is a, like a, a revolutionary guard, like an elite uh, revolutionary guard force in Iran. And Donald Trump either misheard him or didn't know what the fuck he was talking about and thought he was talking about the Kurds. But rather than just say, "Oh yeah, I misheard you," he he gave. Well, let's just go through it. Are you familiar
7: with General Soleimani? Yes. <laughs> I, I, go ahead. Give me a little. Go ahead. Go me. ahead. Go well, ahead. He, he runs
3: the Kuds forces.
7: <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. Do, do you expect <laughs> I think the coulds, be, by the way have been. Horribly mistreated by us. I no, no the not Kurds... the Kurds. The Kurds the, the forces, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, Kurds yes. forces, the bad yeah. guys. Right. Do you expect his behavior to change oh, the a You result? Said Kurds. Kurds. No. Oh, I, I'm Kuds. sorry. I thought you said yeah. Kurds because yeah. I think the Kurds have been very poorly treated by us. Here, go ahead. Agreed.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, that might be the greatest answer in the history of answers. Are you familiar with General Soleimani? Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is the greatest thing in the world. Oh
1: my God.
2: You can just tell that he has no idea whatsoever. I know, right? Uh, yeah, of course I do.
1: Donald Trump, are you kind of a dickhole? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you, sir, uh, Your your face, is it? painted with an industrial strength orange paint yes (laughs) wow you heard it here here here, folks yeah that's awesome so anyway the the interview the interview continued and it really it only went downhill from there but on the front of islamist terrorism i'm looking for
7: the next commander-in-chief to know who Hassan Nasrallah is, and Zawahiri, and Al julani and Al Baghdadi. Do you know the players without a scorecard yet, Donald Trump? No, you know. I'll tell you honestly. I think by the time we get to office, they'll all be changed. They'll be all gone. I know. I knew you're going to ask me things like this, and there's no reason because number one, I'll find the. I will hopefully find General Douglas MacArthur in the pack. I will find whoever it is that I'll find and will but they're all changing you. You know, I, it's like, those are like history questions. Do you know this one? Do you know that one? I don't believe in gotcha questions. I'm not trying to, you know, quiz you on who the well, worst guy gotcha in the world is. I mean, you know, when you're asking me about who, you know, who is running this, 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 that's not, that is not, I will be so good
1: at the military. Your head will spin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that is a
1: classic fucking Trumpism right there. Yeah. There's two things here. One is the fact that he said this. I know, I knew you were going to ask me things like this. Well, if you knew, Donald Trump, that he was going to be asking you things like this, <laughs> then why the fuck were you not prepared to answer the questions that you knew were coming?
2: Yes. The
1: other thing. Oh, yeah, right. Yes.
7: <laughs> I know, I knew you were going to ask me things like this.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is the gotcha question thing.
2: Can I read what the definition of gotcha journalism is? Oh,
1: I didn't know there was a a denotative uh, definition.
2: Well, it's from Wikipedia, so you know Donald Trump probably wrote this in, but. Um, <laughs> Gotcha journalism is a pejorative term used by media critics to describe interviewing methods that appear designed to entrap interviewees into making statements that are damaging or discreditable to their cause, character, integrity, or reputation. Right. See, the, the, the Does point it give of an it- origin? No.
1: Like when it was first used or anything? Of course, well, it probably does, Wikipedia. but I'm not going
2: to find it. And um, <laughs> I think the key, thank part, you, thank you. the key part of this, though, is making statements that are damaging or discreditable to their cause. I think people are confusing what gotcha questions are because...
1: Absolutely, people, that's what's happening.
2: People are saying it when they just don't know the answer to the question. Well, I think
1: a gotcha question would be, when did you stop beating your wife? It's, if you've never beaten your wife, it's, well, never... Oh so you've, you've never stopped beating your wife. I mean you know what I mean that would be a gotcha question. asking a man who is running for the most powerful position on the planet who has the most powerful military at his disposal asking him questions about security and the the, the key players on a na- on an international stage questions about the- <laughs> that's not a gotcha question. That's a fucking job interview.
2: Right, that's exactly right. It's a job interview yeah. and we need to know how much you know because you should know more than us about foreign policy. Well,
1: listen, this I think this gotcha question thing comes largely from Sarah Palin who recently I mean we covered this who recently interviewed and put this gotcha question thing into Sarah pa- or into Donald Trump's head. So you get
9: hit with these gotchas, like most conservatives do. For instance, they asking, "What's your favorite Bible verse?" And I'm listening to that, going, "What? Do they ask Hillary that? Uh, what does it have to do with um, running for the office of the presidency? Uh, it, is it anybody's business? Uh, these personal gotcha questions, really trying to get you, us, any anybody running
1: for office off game." Uh She drives me goddamn crazy.
2: Well, I think she has her own show, and she's been in front of the camera enough to where you think she'd be able to speak a little bit more Mm. fluidly.
1: Less choppily?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and more accurately?
1: Well, listen, this all kind of came around during the 2008 campaign when she was the vice presidential nominee under John McCain, and she was asked by Katie Couric a very, very elementary question.
0: And when it comes to establishing your worldview, I was curious, what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand the I've world? read most
9: of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. But like, what I ones mean, specifically, I'm curious, that you... Um, all of them, any of them that <laughs> um, have, have been in front of me over all these years. Um any I have a va- I have a vast variety of sources where we get our news to alaska isn't a foreign country where it's kind of suggested it seems like wow how could you keep in touch with what the rest of washington dc may be thinking and doing when you live up there in alaska believe me alaska is like a microcosm of america
1: did you hear that yeah i did believe me believe me believe me alaska is a microcosm (laughs) tremendous it's a tremendous micro i'm spitting everywhere well she also
2: she can't even say a newspaper that she reads
1: no well she said all the local all the local alaska newspapers
2: i mean i can't i can't s on her too much because someone asked me today what classes i'm taking this semester and it took me a full minute to remember
1: but you remembered
2: i did listen
1: (laughs) All she had to say was, uh, I don't know, the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, L.A. Times. She could have even said USA Today.
2: Yeah, at least I didn't say, I'm taking all of them. Because
1: I like the color print. That's why I read it. Anyway, this isn't just a one-off situation. She, and this just happened last year. I think we covered this in our first maybe 10 or 15 episodes. So this was just a year ago or so when she was on her bus tour, her Sarah Palin whirlwind experience with her family. And she was, she was asked by a reporter oh, what they'd learned that day. And she labeled that a gotcha question.
9: And in a shout-out, gotcha type of question that was asked of me, I
1: answered candidly, and I know my American history. Again, what the reporter asked, the gotcha question, was, huh, where did you go today? You're in the Northeast. You're in the Boston area, in Massachusetts. What did your family learn from your, your visits amongst all the historical sites? Uh,
9: where Pearl, Paul Revere hung out as a teenager, which was something new to learn. And, uh, you know, he who warned uh, the... The British that they weren't going to be taking away our arms uh, by ringing those bells and, and um, making sure as he's riding his horse through town to send those warning shots and bells that uh, we were going to be secure and we were going to be free. We were going to I, be uh,
1: uh, Wait, what? Wait, what? What?
2: Those bells and rings.
1: That Paul Revere warned the British that they were not going to take our arms. Mm -hmm. And then that the warning shots, what, what is she, and then what was the original thing she said? And in
9: a shout out, gotcha type of question that was asked of me, I answered candidly and I know my American history.
1: Uh, It sounds like you maybe don't know. Your American history this
2: is what I mean about what they think the definition of a gotcha question is right you're not you're being asked something and you don't know the answer just because you weren't provided with the questions and you're supposed to give the correct answer that doesn't make it a gotcha question
1: she probably thinks that when she was on recently on being asked about her interview with Donald Trump and she was asked you know what would what would a, a secretary position? What would a cabinet position under a Trump administration, which one would you pick if you were to choose? She answered, and she probably thinks that was a gotcha question.
6: Donald Trump says that he would love to have someone of your strength in his administration. When you take a look at the cabinet, is there a particular area you think would line up best with your strengths, a position you'd want to serve in?
9: That's a great question. Um, I think a lot about the Department of Energy because energy is my baby, oil and gas and minerals, those things that God has dumped on this part of the earth for mankind's use instead of us relying on unfriendly foreign nations for us to import their, their resources. I think a lot about Department of Energy, and if I were um, head of that, I'd get rid of it. And I'd let the states start having more control over the lands that are uh, within uh, their boundaries and the people who are affected by the developments within their states. So, you know, if I were in charge of that, it would be a short-term job, but um, it would be be really great to have someone who knows energy and is pro-responsible development to be in charge.
2: So according to Vox, uh, Sarah Palin doesn't know what the Department of Energy does.
1: It's not a shocker. Even though she not a shocker. Yeah,
2: she wants to work work in that department, but she doesn't know.
1: She who. wants to not only run that that uh, cabinet, that that uh, that division of our government, but she wants to do away with it. So, she wants to get rid of it. She said, so, "I don't think that's even in her purview as a secretary. That's certainly a." an act of Congress is going to need to be done to get rid of an entire division or, or, or of the executive branch.
2: So the Department of Energy mainly oversees the nation's nuclear weapons program, a task consuming nearly half of its budget, and it runs the national labs and conducts energy R&D. So that is what the Department of Energy does. And Vox says what Palin wants is the Department of Interior, which oversees the vast majority of federal lands. They're the ones handling leases for coal mining or fracking on public lands through the Bureau of Land Management or supervising offshore oil and gas drilling through the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. That's
1: right. Former governor of Idaho and former senator Dirk Kempthorne was the Secretary of the Interior. Under George W. Bush. So that would be what she's talking about. But she is so inept at any basic high school understanding of our government and how it works that she, you know, she's going to label that a gotcha question. Ugh.
2: So, the moral of the story, quit saying that things are gotcha questions just because you don't know the answer. <laughs> right. And now everyone knows that you don't know that information.
1: That's right. Next up, things are not looking any better for the Hillary Clinton campaign at all. Brianna Keeler had her campaign press secretary, Brian Fallon, on, and they were talking about, of course, the email scandal. And something really stuck out to me.
0: Cheryl Mills. She was expected to face questions uh, about Clinton's emails, um, and this was during closed uh, a closed door session there on Capitol Hill. Another former aide, an IT aide, however, this man has indicated he's not going to answer questions. He will instead plead the Fifth Amendment. This is Brian Pagliano. He's a former IT staffer. He helped with the private email server that Clinton used, as well as with uh, her email account, a private email account. Joining me now to talk about this from New York is Brian Fallon. He is the press secretary for Hillary for America. Uh, Thanks for being with us, Brian. Really appreciate it. And I do want to read a statement from Nick Merrill. Uh, this is uh, Secretary Clinton's traveling press secretary, and uh, Nick says she's made every effort to answer questions and be as helpful as possible, and has encouraged her aides, current and former, to do the same. That includes Brian Pagliano. So, why is he disregarding that encouragement? Do you think?
3: Well, he's not a part of the campaign; um, he's a private citizen, um, and so we can't um, uh, require him to do anything. I got news for you, Brian
1: Fallon. Even if he did work for you, you still couldn't do anything if he wanted to assert his Fifth Amendment privilege under the Constitution of the United States. That is his right to do so. You you can't usurp his right to, to claim that Fifth Amendment privilege. That's not really what bothers me, though. What bothers me is the fact that there is this person, this IT aide, this Internet and technology. Is that what IT stands for?
2: Uh, Information technology. Uh,
1: Information technology. Uh, Assistant to Hillary Clinton, Brian Pagliano. And he is saying that I'm going to claim my Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution when questioned about this Hillary email thing. Kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. Well, here's the thing, is a Fifth Amendment right, it's not just like, "Eh, I don't want to answer their question, so I'm going to plead the Fifth. What the Fifth Amendment is, is it's I'm going to assert my Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution because what I say will likely be incriminating. That is what the Fifth Amendment means. It's a serious thing. It's not just, yeah, I'm busy. I got my Fifth Amendment. (laughs) It's... It's a big deal. Yeah. It means, listen, when someone pleads the fifth, it's because they're fucking guilty, but they cannot be compelled under our laws to testify against themselves. That's what it means. And this is another thing that we skipped until today since the Ryan Bell episode, episode 154, and nothing has come of this. I haven't heard anybody say, what the fuck is going on when you've got a guy who thinks he's going to be incriminated if he testifies about what he knows,
2: well, maybe he's just trying to be very, very unhelpful,
1: <laughs> right?
2: Just intentionally unhelpful. He's trying to make their lives <laughs> difficult.
1: Yeah, it's it's shocking to me. Uh, and in other news, I mean, we'll leave that there. We'll see what develops. I I hope something comes of it. Somebody gets to him and asks him some questions. The second thing that I want to talk about, though, is that now, what I've been talking about for weeks, maybe months. About this email scandal, quote-unquote.
2: Pat on the back for you. Well, (laughs) we... Thank you. Needed. Tooting
1: my horn. Yep.
2: It's that if
1: these emails were just secret or just classified, not a big deal. If they were sensitive, not a big deal. But if they rose to the level of top secret, then we have a problem. Because that's real information. That is stuff that needed to be protected and shouldn't have been on her personal server. Well, it looks like at least two of the emails did contain top secret information.
2: A new review concludes that two emails Hillary Clinton received on her private account as Secretary of State were top secret, senior intelligence officials told The New York Times on Monday. The CIA and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency reached the same conclusion as the intelligence community's inspector general last month about two emails sent to Clinton in 2009 and 2011. The emails included discussion of North Korea's nuclear weapons program. Clinton's campaign disputed the review's conclusion, arguing that government agencies have different views of what should be considered classified. A spokesman for the State Department... Hang
1: on. That might be true that very well might be true, what is considered classified. But the difference between the Department of State and the Department of Defense on something that's top secret isn't going to be disputed. Top secret's fucking top secret.
2: A spokesman for the State Department concurred.
1: (laughs) With Hillary. With Hillary, not with me. No. Shocker that a Department of State employee sided with their former boss would they want to save face here the entire department's not going to want to say oh yeah the person who just was running our organization was a shit heel you know what i mean they're not going to be doing that (laughs) there's not going to be a lot of throwing her under the bus anytime soon from the state department
2: so we missed something important on donald trump oh did we Carly Fiorina?
1: Oh, my God. We did. Holy shit. I don't want to skip
2: that because that just happened tonight. Oh, yeah. And this is extremely important to discuss. That
1: is real good. So, I can't believe. Thank you very much for saving the fucking day, Brittany Page. Uh, Trump just tonight had some very, very reasonable things to say about his opponent, Carly Fiorina.
4: Here's part... Uh, Of what the quote says. It says, when the anchor tosses to Carly Fiorina for her reaction to Trump's momentum, Trump's expression sours in schoolboy disgust as the camera bores in on her face. Look at that face, he cries. Would anybody vote for that? Can you imagine that? The face of our next president. The laughter grows halting and faint behind him, and then he continues, I mean, she's a woman, I'm not supposed to say bad things, but really, folks, come on, are we serious? Hmm. Obviously, that line, look at her face. You can almost hear him saying that if you've watched his press conferences, watched his rallies. We know the way Trump talks. You can hear him saying that. And I did just check in with a spokeswoman for the Trump campaign. They're not commenting any further on these comments, but they're also not refuting the quotes. You sometimes wonder when you see a big magazine profile, especially Rolling Stone, was it someone, some person somehow taken out of context Were they misquoted? But there's no indication of that right now.
1: That was clearly Brian Stelter on AC 360 tonight with Anderson Cooper and... This, although you would think and hope and pray to the gods that don't exist that this would sink Donald Trump's campaign, it likely will not. Which is... It'll likely be fucking wind in his crazy-ass sails.
2: I I just... I'm so confused. I'm so confused. You can't have... You can't have a grown man who is a professional who's going to be the president of the United States saying things like this about his fellow candidates sh- or about anyone.
1: She's not qualified to be president because of her face. What in the fuck does that mean? I.
2: It's so horrific. It's so insulting. And also, I'm sorry, but what is with Donald Trump? Who does he think he is? Listen,
1: that is not just insulting to her. It's insulting to me and you as American voters. Fuck you, Donald Trump. Right. It's You, you, you expect... You expect my vote? Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's based on who Carly Fiorina is as a person. It's That's not right. based on her facial features.
1: Well it's the reason he wants to say something negative about her is because she has said critical things not maybe negative, but critical things about his candidacy. And Trump is like a junior high person who, if you say good stuff about him, he says good stuff about you.
2: A junior high person. Um, I think you mean like kid. Kanye West.
1: You know what?
7: I'll never say bad about him. You know
2: why? Because
7: he loves Trump. He loves Trump. He goes around saying, Trump is my all-time hero. He says it to everybody. So Kanye West, I love him. Now, maybe in a few years I'll have to run against him. I don't know. So I'll take that back. But you know what? He's been so nice to me. I I sort of... You people have sort of seen, because I've been a counterpuncher. I only hit people when they hit me. Only. And Kanye West has been so great. I would never say bad about him because he says
1: such nice things. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough that Donald Trump is a fucking Kanye West fan? Come on.
2: Well... Ah. I mean, he's saying that he only likes him because
1: he says good things about yeah, him.
2: Yeah, and he likes him back. Like that's I mean that's so is, childish. That's
1: the height of immaturity.
2: Yeah, I'm it's so confusing that this person has thirty percent in the polls. I mean, it's horrific.
1: It is
0: disgusting.
2: But obviously he can't critique Carly Fiorina's experience, the things that she says, her intellect policy viewpoints he can't critique something that's that's worthy of yeah critique. right he or has to go there worthy
1: of discussion right yeah it can't be discounted out of hand you know i, I wonder what he has to say uh about other singers
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, i don't know that we're ever going to retire yeah. that <laughs> All right, let's let's move on out of dolamocracy and into a little bit of uh, something that's more more light, a little levity. 538, the geniuses over at 538.com they, they they wrote an article, posted an article about the movies that make men cry.
2: Well, it's movies that make everyone cry, but they had to put a catchy title on it so that people would read it because, oh, it's unusual for grown men to cry at movies. Not
1: this grown man. I'm I cry saying, a lot.
2: I, it's Maybe it's unusual for grown men to admit they cry in movies. Yeah,
1: maybe so. So
2: this article was written by Walt Hickey and... He asked Survey Monkey Audience, which conducts polls for 538 from time to time, to ask people what films, if any, had ever made them cry, or at least made them choke up a bit. And these respondents could volunteer up to five films. Okay. So listeners should be thinking about their own five films. Yeah, I'm
1: thinking about mine right now. That make them cry. Top five or...
2: Just, yeah, five films that have made you cry. Huh.
1: And And there's fucking so many.
2: So... About 92% of the 665 respondents said a movie had made them cry. How
1: should we do that? Okay. Before we get to after you, what you read, do you want to do a deal where you like how we plan the show while we're doing the show? It's good, right? Yeah. Um, Do you want to do a deal where like you read the top movies that made someone cry? And then I say, whether I cried,
2: uh, yeah, but I'm also going to say whether or not I cried because it's men and women. Again, All it was right. just a catchy title on the article. Perfect. All right. Let's do that. So 92% of the 665 respondents said a movie had made them cry. So not 100%. Right. <laughs> There's either some liars or some very confusing individuals. Well,
1: it's either... They've it was, never it,
2: gone to the movies. No, it
1: was a poll conducted with humans and fucking robots. <laughs>
2: So, the dry-eyed 8% were asked... Wh-
1: 538 lingo. The dry-eyed 8%. The 8% of robots that we, we we surveyed...
2: Were asked whether a movie... I
1: did not cry. Whether a That's movie... That's my robot, Brittany. That was real I'm gonna good. I'm going to let you breathe here in a second. Hang Trying on. to read. All right, here we go.
2: Whether a movie had ever at least gotten them misty-eyed <laughs> or choked up, a little more than half of them conceded that, yes, they have been close to crying before... Still, this leaves 4% of respondents, about 1 in 25, who have never been moved even close to tears by any film. Wow. Yes. Well, they could be lying, so let's not forget. Okay. Here are the biggest tearjerker films with the number of times they were mentioned. In total, 596 films were mentioned, 2,615 times. And men and women don't tear up at the same film, so we'll get get to that in a second. But these were the top tearjerker films for everybody. All right. Number one, The Notebook.
1: Did not cry, which is fucking weird because I am a crying weirdo at movies and I did not cry at that.
2: I did not cry at it either.
1: Well, you're more of a robot than me.
2: Okay. So number two. Okay. Well, The, the Notebook had 83 mentions. Okay, okay. So number two had 48 mentions and it is Titanic. Uh,
1: I don't know. I don't think I uh, I cried.
2: I did not cry. Okay. I saw it when I was very young.
1: Things are not looking good right now.
2: <laughs> okay, number three, with 34 mentions, Saving Private Ryan.
1: Fuck, I cried in the first five minutes of that movie when they're just in the, in no spoiler here, but when they're just in the uh, cemetery in France, in Normandy, I'm crying then when the old man is in the cemetery. I, I definitely cried at that movie. I I don't think you've ever seen it.
2: Haven't probably. seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to say it because, well, one, you were getting angry emails about something because I hadn't seen something, um, some movie.
1: Oh, um, the jerk. Yeah, and yeah. so I don't
2: want you to get more angry emails about me not having seen a movie. That's kind of a weird thing that happened, but anyway, okay.
1: Well, they blamed. Well, they blamed me. They blamed me for for you having not seen it.
2: Are you in charge of me or something? You're
1: goddamn right I'm yeah, no, in charge. No, no right, you're not. Next movie. Okay, number four. See how that works?
2: No, I <laughs> want to read number four. Okay, number four. Old Yeller.
1: I I don't know. I had a fourth grade teacher break down into tears while reading it to the class, but I don't think I've seen the movie, so... I did cry. Oh, oh! Wow. Okay.
2: Which is interesting. And an animal. Yeah. Too. <laughs> How dare you make me sound like an animal? Um, okay. Number five, Steel Magnolias.
1: Definitely cried.
2: I have not seen it.
1: Definitely cried. Next.
2: Number six, Marley and Me.
1: Definitely cried.
2: I haven't seen it. Yeah. Number seven, Bambi. Come
1: on! Fuck.
2: You Next cried? Ne- Did you no, cry? No, I didn't cry. Okay. Number eight, Gone with the Wind. You hate that movie. I don't so. think I've seen it. Oh, I thought you hate it. No, I haven't seen it. Okay. So number eight, tied with Gone with the Wind and another film, um, is Love Story. I yeah. don't know what that is. What is
1: yeah? Okay, I yeah. don't either.
2: Okay, and then tied for eight, again, is Up.
1: Up, the the balloon movie, the yeah. cartoon. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I may have gotten teary in the first... First few minutes, like the love story that tells their their love affair, their their story. Right. Yeah.
2: Okay, I did too. Uh number eleven. But getting teary
1: and crying, I don't uh, they're not the same thing in my book.
2: Number eleven, this is huge for me. Terms of endearment. Oh,
1: of course. Yeah. That is a fucking boob fest. 89. Yeah. Yeah.
2: 12, Schindler's List.
1: I don't know. I don't remember. I I know. I haven't seen it. the, The pianist. Which is a Holocaust era movie mm-hmm. with uh, Adrian Brody? I cry like a fucking maniac in that movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably Schindler's, but I don't remember.
2: Okay, and we're rounding out the top fifteen here with Brian's song "The Lion King," "Ghost," and "The Fault in Our Stars," and I for sure cry during "Ghost."
1: Yeah, I don't think the last four at all. That that's weird. That's a weird list. I wouldn't. Uh, I, I would. I cry at like uh, if I'm thinking of movies that I cry at the the very first movie i ever cried at was the elephant man or that i remember crying at mm-hmm. was the elephant man but i seriously i cried a lot a mm-hmm. lot like we just wouldn't saw inside out mm-hmm. that cartoon with amy Poehler and and bill hader and
2: where the Lewis emotions Black.
1: yeah there are the emotions inside the little girl and that was supposed to be a super tearjerker and i got mildly teary mm-hmm. did not cry cry but there have been there have been movies where it's been a bad scene.
2: Okay, so keep thinking about your five. The right, the top right. movies for men to cry in were Field of Dreams, Rudy, Brian Song, and We Were Soldiers. Hmm. So these are the most likely to be listed by men rather than women. On the other end of the spectrum, for women, we have Beaches, P.S. I Love You, Steel Magnolias, and A Walk to Remember. These were heavily skewed female.
1: I I must be a woman because I cry at a lot of woman movies then. <laughs> for sure.
2: So the they broke it down by genre as well. So for females, they cry in romance. They cry in 90% of romances. So that's the most prominent (laughs) genre that makes them cry for men. It's 65%. So it was also high. I love
1: love. I, it makes me emotional.
2: (laughs) Okay. And then the next genre that's most likely to make people cry is war for both females and males. I get that. And then it's comedy. And the, the lowest is horror. Females. Wait, wait!
1: It's even on the list.
2: Yeah, very strange. I don't know if they're Ooh. crying from fear or, or crying at
1: how fucking terrible horror movies are, or
2: how moving the horror film is. <laughs> I oh, Jason Voorhees, you tragic <laughs> character! Oh, I'm gonna cry. That's Jason's last name.
1: Yeah, Voorhees. Wow,
2: you know a lot about that film for not liking <laughs> horror films. <laughs> So finally, uh, Walt Hickey inquired about television shows and novels to see whether any of those made people cry. Only 29% of male respondents admitted they had ever been brought to tears by a novel. And Walt at 538 says this probably means our civilization is in desperate need of far more books about World War II. Since those are the kind of movies that make me cry. Right. And 61% of dudes said... Wow, that, dude, That's the lingo he used. Said that they have never been brought to tears by a television show or miniseries. What? Yeah,
1: 61%. You fu- they're you not watching it right then.
2: Okay, and here's, here's the final note that Walt gave at the end of this article. To the single respondent who listed Jurassic Park as a film that has brought them to tears... <laughs> I need you to contact me as soon as possible. I'm pretty sure you're my soulmate.
5: Oh, whatever. (laughs) All
1: right. Listen. Wait,
2: wait. What are you doing? I'm
1: getting ready to give the phone number. No,
2: because we're going to talk about our five movies that made us cry.
1: All right. Okay, maybe not
2: five. Just, I'll start naming some. Braveheart, Gladiator. Uh, Uh, Both of those are war movies. I I don't
1: cry at Gladiator. Definitely Braveheart. Uh, Definitely The Patriot with Mel Gibson.
2: I was heavily crying in train wreck that's recent i i was heavily Uh, I,
1: i cried at train wreck too
2: i was heavily crying after skeleton twins
1: oh yeah you were a fucking mess after skeleton twins um What's the Steve Carell movie we both love?
2: Oh, Crazy Stupid Love Makes Me Cry. Crazy Stupid Love
1: Makes Me Cry. Yeah, and that tears me up. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of movies that tear me up. Yeah, seriously.
1: Lots of movies we go to make me cry. It's not a...
2: I wish I could have been in this this poll here because I would have added some good movies to this list.
1: All right. We're going to wrap it up with this.
2: Taken Care of Biz. A a moving company... What happened? (laughs) Oh, my God. I bumped the microphone with my lips.
1: You smashed right into it, huh?
2: Which should make you happy because that means I'm talking into the mic very closely. the
1: audience will notice how wonderful (laughs) it sounds when you're actually in the microphone.
2: Oh, how horrific. So what is it
1: we're talking about again? I'm so sorry. I (laughs) got distracted by the freak show.
2: (laughs) A moving company known as Meathead Movers is offering free services to victims of domestic violence as wow. an effort to help them get back on their feet. The company hires many former and current college athletes as movers, hence the name Meathead Movers, And it began a new partnership with the Good Shepherd Center in Los Angeles to move these families for free. Amanda Gibson is the executive director for the Transitional Center, which helps women and children recover from domestic violence. And she said, once families are able to leave, they must find a way to pay for the expensive move to a new home. Quote, $1,000 to rent a U-Haul and all the things you need to move, and that can often start them out in a deficit, she said. Helping victims of domestic violence is the company's mission statement, and employees are trained to work with these families with compassion and care. Quote, it's really so heartwarming to hear these stories and the movers. They love it. They move, then they're more than happy to get out there and help them.
1: That is awesome. And that's local, right? It's here in Los Angeles.
2: Right. And the company is issuing a challenge. It wants a thousand other businesses to offer free services to victims of domestic violence, then post the stories to the meathead movers Facebook page. And this is a unique situation where they have partnered with this transitional center. And so families go to this center, they get approved and then the moving company can go and help them, them move out of their, their situation for free. So it's helping them get to a safe environment you know, not having them start out in a situation where they're charging it to a credit card or trying to figure out how they're going to pay for it. So it's one less hindrance in the way to get them to safety.
1: Right. Because oftentimes there are all these excuses that are made. Oh, I can't because of this. It's tough. And then they don't end up going and they stay in a dangerous situation. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah. And they're oftentimes legitimate excuses. I I
1: don't mean it as Ah, they're just making excuses. I mean, right. There are reasons. How about that?
2: That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Says, ah, oh, they're making these excuses. Tremendous. That's my Donald Trump. <laughs> that was my really good. I'll just stick to Harry Potter. All
1: right. Well, that is awesome. <laughs> Listen, we we gotta go. We will leave you there. We appreciate you. If you want to check out the debate coverage episodes that we're going to be putting out, don't forget to go to patreon.com/slash. I doubt it with Dollamore. And become a partner with us with Patreon. We appreciate every little bit. It goes a long way, far farther than you think. Uh, There's also Amazon.com. You can go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's an Amazon search bar. Go use it. Buy all your shit at Amazon. We love you. We appreciate you. Tell, Tell a friend. Go rate and review. Do us a solid. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt
2: He gives, just tosses the reason all over your faces.